Well, good morning, everyone. Oh, wow, that was hearty. I like that. Uh, I'm glad you're here today. For those of you I don't know, my name's Todd, and I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, really excited that you're here this morning. Uh, we've got a lot going on today at our church, and uh, so you'll be hearing about that through the day. i got a special guest I'm going to introduce you to, and uh, we're continuing in our series called Words and Pictures, and if you have your Bibles, you can open to the book of Luke. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 14. If you don't have Bibles, no problem. The words will be on the screen this morning as we'll be in Luke uh, uh, chapter 14. If I said 15 a minute ago, I was wrong. It's 14. So I um, also want to thank Jared McElroy, who's here. Jared preached for me two weeks ago, gave me a week off. Jared, thanks. That was a fantastic message. Man, thank you so much. And Todd Cooper, I don't know where he is. He's out. <laughs> Coop. I call him Coop. Everybody else calls him Todd, but let's give it up for him even though he's not here. Oh, Sammy's there. She can take it. There we go. All right. There you go. Sammy, she can take the praise. She's bowing back there. Nice. Okay. We, that went a little far. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I'm glad that they were able to fill in. And um, man, I'm privileged as a pastor to have a couple guys that I can go to um, who can deliver the word of God um, in an effective and um, funny, by the way, Jared, uh, way. And uh, man, I am just uh, really privileged to have that. And thank you guys for doing that. We are in this series where we're discussing the parables of Jesus. And uh, this was one like when I talked to the guys, I was like, look, um, you know, I want you to choose from a list of, of Jesus's parables, the different stories that he told. And we'll talk about what a parable is here in a moment. But um, I gave him a list like, you know, all through the Gospels, it's just filled with these stories that Jesus would tell. And I gave them the list of the parables and I said, choose one from, you know, this list. But um, secretly, in, in when I gave him the list, I held this one back because I wanted to do this one. And I can do that, right? So um, anyway, this is one of my favorite parables, one of my favorite stories um, that Jesus told. It's just act, act, absolutely filled um, with lessons that you and I can learn. Uh, but there's a main lesson. There always is one in all these stories that Jesus tells. There's always one. There may be other small lessons that you can learn, and we'll talk about those uh, throughout this morning, but there's always one main lesson that Jesus is trying to communicate, and that's his whole point in telling these stories. Um, I'm a pastor, and I love stories. Pastors love to tell stories, don't we? Don't we, Maurice? We love to tell stories, and um, I like to tell stories here. I like to tell stories at home, and I like to tell stories to my kids, and I'm not a particularly creative storyteller, so I tell real stories to my kids. Um, I know some of you parents, some of you moms and dads, when your kids were, you know, little and like they went to bed, you would tell them these creative, you know, just like elaborate, like fantasy stories or whatever to help them go to sleep. That wasn't me at all. But now that they're 8 and 11, I tell them stories about my growing up because I love it. They don't at all. They don't love it at all. And so now, because they don't love it at all, and they're 8 and 11, I just keep telling because they don't like it. And I have fun with it, right? That is completely against what the Bible says about, you know, uh, leading your kids to anger, which I do all the time, and I shouldn't do that. But I do it anyway. Um, so, and I'll ask forgiveness about that, but that's a whole nother story and a whole nother sermon for another time. But I tell my kids stories, and here's what the 11-year-old does now because she's a tweenie, you know, tween. This is like a new term for us and our family, but it is a term, and we get it because there's like one foot, you know, and one age and one foot in the other. And she's becoming a teenager, and she's in this tween phase, so she's 
spreading her wings a little bit with dad and mom and how she talks to us. And so um, here's what happens is like we're at the dinner table and I've got this great story about my growing up. You know, it's just like incredible story. And I'll start to tell it. And before I even get to it, she interrupts me and she goes, when I was growing up and she starts filling in what she thinks I'm about ready to say. And she gives me this Southern accent, which I don't have, right, y'all? I mean, I don't have a Southern accent, y'all. So anyway, I'm just kidding. They, um, they don't like my stories. And the main reason they don't like my stories is because they're self-indulgent and they don't have a point to them. They really don't. And that's the way my dad told stories. And I've just taken his cues. And so, like, that's what we do. But Jesus' stories had a point. In fact, Jesus' stories had an important, effective point that drew to a bottom line that helped the reader or helped the hearer or helps us in 2015 to understand a spiritual truth. In fact, we've kind of given our own definition to this whole idea of parable. A parable is a, a short story of descriptive words and vivid pictures that helps communicate or reveal a deep spiritual truth. And I love to kind of um, picture Jesus when he was communicating these stories because I kind of picture Jesus telling a story and, and his disciples or the people that were within hearing distance were probably like, where's he going with this? What is he talking about? And he did that on purpose because he wanted them to think about different things and he wanted them to think about things differently. And so he would use word pictures and he would use narrative and he'd use these detailed descriptions. And that's where we get our series, Words in Pictures, that Jared and Todd Cooper have helped me over the uh, past few weeks communicate. And today we're looking into this one that he told it's called the wedding banquet. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 14. But I've got to kind of give you some context because context in this particular parable is really important. I want, to, want you to understand kind of what was going on in, in the life of the Jewish community and the life of the Roman community during this time and understand what Jesus was doing. Now, when we read this, keep in mind a few things. Number one, um, this was during a period of time where Jesus's relationship with the religious leaders of the day was, and some of the civic leaders of, of its day, was at a point of high tension. Um, you got to realize, and we forget sometimes, that Jesus was a rabbi just like any other Jewish rabbi, right? And in that day and age, Jewish rabbis they had people that would follow them. It was all Judaism. It was all um, of the Hebrew faith, if you will. But they had specifically, they would have people that would follow. And you would say, oh, I'm a student of rabbi so-and-so. And another person would say, well, I'm a student of, of this rabbi. But you'd be learning the same general principles that came from the Torah. And so in that day and age, Jesus, or in this context, Jesus would have had his own followers. He was a rabbi in his own right. But Jesus took the old Jewish system and teachings and law and literally flipped it upside down. And so he was communicating what God sent him to earth to communicate because he was the son of God. Don't forget that. He wasn't just a rabbi. He wasn't just a prophet. He was the son of the living God. 
And so Jesus was sent by God to communicate a different message, but that message completely frustrated the Jewish community and particularly the leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, uh, the high priests, the priests. It just completely threw them for a loop. They didn't know what to think because they had been teaching an adherence to the law and adherence to all of these rules was of the utmost importance. Jesus communicated a whole different concept and idea. He communicated that a relationship was more important than rules. And he communicated that people were more important than some kind of religious you know, paradigm or, or principles. And, and it really was counterintuitive to society. And it really kind of smacked of disrespect to many of the Jewish leaders. And because of this tension, he was also stirring it up uh, in terms of just society. And so he had civic leaders and religious leaders that were just kind of wondering what was going on. And, of course, we see in the events leading up to his crucifixion and then resurrection, we see that played out to its fullest extent. And so Jesus has this tension-filled relationship with the rulers of the day, not just to be rebellious, but he was on mission from his father. And so with that kind of context in mind, it really kind of helps us understand this setting that Jesus was about ready to enter into. We see it in Luke chapter 14, and we're not going to look at 1 through verse 11. We're going to start with 12. But in verses 1 through 11, here's how this went down. This is great. Um, he is invited to a, a dinner party, what the, it essentially amounts to, of some of the most important people in Jerusalem. I mean, this would have been where like all the civic leaders, all the important civic leaders would have attended and all the religious leaders would have attended. And he gets there and there's already this tension, right? So Jesus walks in the room and all of a sudden he notices that something's off. It's the Sabbath day, and it's a day of holiness. It's a day where um, the Jews didn't do anything. They didn't work on that day. They took it extremely serious, the Sabbath. And we should probably do that more often, too. And that's a whole other series or message for another time as well. But he arrives there, and there's one thing that stood out to Jesus in this dinner party that he was attending, and that is, is there was a person who was there who was filled with a disease. And if you look at the history of the disease that he was filled with, it was a disease that caused his limbs um, to basically retain more water than they're supposed to. And so this person who was at this party um, probably was pretty noticeable. And probably had some, you know, severe deformities. And Jesus stops and basically looks at these leaders and goes, guys, why are we ignoring this person? Why are we ignoring him? And in that moment, Jesus heals this person of his disease. And of course, the religious leaders are like, you can't do that on the Sabbath. And Jesus communicates them. To them once again that people are more important than religion. That yes, the, the religious laws are important, but God's focus is on the person and it's on grace and mercy, not an adherence to all these rules. And so that's the context. I mean, 
Like, how would you like to be the person who is hosting this party? Like, okay, Jesus, bring it down a little bit, okay? Like, you know, let's not cause too much trouble here. You just arrived. Let's make this, like, nice and smooth tonight. Let's just, you know, nothing happening here. Like, let's just make this really smooth. Don't cause any, any, any ripples. Don't rock the boat, Jesus. But that's what he was sent to do. And so I love it because Jesus uses this opportunity at this dinner party, that's what I call it, um, to communicate some more truth. And so he goes on, and he essentially communicates a three-part story about a wedding feast. You see, he used the springboard. He's a fantastic communicator. He used that event that he was at to communicate this truth. And so he used a story about a wedding feast to communicate the spiritual truth. That was the parable. In fact, it's really three in one, three parables in one. We're not going to read the first one. The first one, Jesus was communicating a story about how to um, act at a feast or at a dinner party. But he was really trying to communicate about humility. And then in the second one, which we are going to read, he was communicating about how if we are inviting people to our party, that we shouldn't invite just those people who are going to benefit us. We should invite those who may never get invited to a dinner party. And so we'll read that part, but it's the third one that we're going to focus on today, and we'll take a look at what Jesus communicates about this wedding banquet. Take a look at verse 12. We'll read these first three verses and stop, and then we'll read the rest of them. Jesus here says this. He said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. I love that one. Isn't that great? Like, man, he didn't, he didn't beat around the bush on that at all. Uh, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the, blind, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And so Jesus is communicating to those who are, are listening that um, if we want to do something hospitable, that we should do it without any thought of us receiving anything in return. That to do it any other way it is really um, underhanded and it's manipulative and we shouldn't do that. And so that's what he's communicating. He's not, by the way, I want you to hear this. If you read verses 7 through 14 and then read the part that we're really going to focus on here over the next few minutes, he is not communicating party etiquette, you know, like that's not what he's doing. He is communicating a spiritual truth and using a party as the example of the spiritual truth. Let's keep reading. Verse 15. Here's really where we get to this third part of this trilogy, if you will, this kind of wedding trilogy. He says this. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things. By the way, this is a funny moment in this party. So there's another guy that's reclining there, another person that's reclining there. He said to him, said to Jesus, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. This is like a random thought. In fact, I read one commentator who said, this is kind of like the awkward person that comes to your party that like is kind of socially like, you know, maybe, you know, awkward and just randomly says something that everyone's like, why did he just say that? I'm not really sure. Have any of you experienced a party like this? I mean, come on, let's be honest. Like, I won't ask who was that person in this room. Anyway, but like he just randomly kind of interjects himself but it's interesting because this man who kind of randomly interjects himself does get it to a certain extent because he realizes that Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. 
And that's one of the things that Jared and Todd Cooper did a great job of helping us understand is most of the time, if not all the time, Jesus is trying to communicate a truth about his kingdom to us through these stories and through these parables. Let's keep reading. Verse 16. But Jesus said to him, uh, or excuse me, verse 17, at the, at, uh, and at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant. This is the one, the host of the banquet. He sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Now, in this day and age, um, here's what you would do if you had a dinner party or a feast or a banquet. You would send a servant out well in advance, like weeks or days or maybe even months in advance, to tell the people that you wanted to invite that we are going to have this dinner party. It's going to be on this time and on this day. <laughs> it's a, like what we would call in the modern day, save the date, right? Invitation. Like that's what, like weddings and that sort of thing, you do that now, right? I'm a guy and I know this, I know sad, but that's okay because my wife tells me about these things. Thanks, Cynthia. So anyway, it was like save the date. And then what would happen is the day of the party, when everything was ready, the servant would go back out into the city of Jerusalem here in this case and would tell all those people who were invited, hey, we're ready for the party, come on. And the etiquette was that the people that were invited, you know, the people that had RSVP'd, yeah, I'm going to be there, um, they were supposed to show up just like they're supposed to show up today, right? We'll take a look at what happens. I love this. This is great. Verse 18. But they all alike began to make, what's that next word? Excuses. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field, and I must go out and I must see it. Please, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them Please have me excused. I love this next guy, verse 20. And another said, I have married a wife, <laughs> and therefore I can't come. That guy's in trouble when he gets home, because word's going to get back to his wife that he used her as an excuse. I promise you. Right, men? Right? Okay, he's in trouble. And I probably am now, too. Uh, but what happened here is all the people that were invited began giving excuses as to why they didn't want to come. Have you been there before? Like, ah, I know I RSVP'd for that thing, but I really don't want to come. I don't really want to go there tonight. And they decided one right after the other that they weren't going to come. Now, there's, there is a lesson. It's not the point of this parable, but there's a lesson here because the party really represents the kingdom of God. And the invitation here by the host represents God extending the invitation to be a part of the kingdom of God, to be a part of the party, if you will. And these people are just rejecting it, one right after the other. Take a look at what continues to happen in verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the home uh, master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Like the people that we invited aren't coming, so go into the city streets and invite anybody you see because I've made a meal and a feast and we have room. And the servant answers in verse 22, he says this, he said, sir, what you have commanded has already been done, and there is still room. 
And the master said to the servant, well, then go out to the highways. This is outside the city walls and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my banquet. You see, this represents God saying to those of you who are here and you've rejected him over and over and over again, accept the invitation. And there's a progression that he uses. I don't know if you picked up on it. Some of you may have picked up on it. Back in verse 17, the servant goes out and he says, come to the party. And then as those invitees don't come, in verse 21, he says, go out into the city and bring in the lame, the blind, anyone who will come in. And then in verse 23, it says that he tells the servant, compel them to come in. There's a progression from the point of just come on to the party to bring them in, to compel them to come. And you see, the real lesson is for those of us who are here today who are Christ followers and being a part of God's growing kingdom like Jared and Cooper explained to you these last two weeks. We play a unique, serious, relevant, intentional role. But the problem is, is that sometimes you and I are so stuck in our ways that like we say, you know, I, I might like invite someone who looks like me and acts like me and has the same type of clothes as me. And I might invite someone to be a part of the kingdom of God who, you know, is, is in my social status and hangs around with the same friends I hang around with. And Jesus is using this great story here to communicate to us that the kingdom of God is not reserved for the privileged. And I don't know about you, I'm exceedingly grateful for that. Because if it were, I wouldn't be a part of it. And I got news for you. If it were, neither would any of you. And I love you all to death. But we're none of us are privileged, are we? It's not reserved for the privileged. Jesus is communicating to those, those who are listening then and to us now that the kingdom of God is wide open for anyone who will say yes to Jesus. It's wide open. It's not just for those who were invited. They didn't even come. It's not even for those that are within the city walls. They didn't even come. But it's for those who are at the extreme part of society. And by the way, yes, it's for the rest too. But they decided not to come. You see, we have such a small scope when, it, when we think of the kingdom of God and when we think about the message of the gospel. That word means good news. It's used all throughout the New Testament. When we think about the good news of Jesus, that God sent Jesus to die for our sins and that there's no other thing that we have to do except believe in him to have eternal life. That's a wide door, isn't it? That's the way God intended it. The kingdom of God is not reserved for just the privileged. Listen, it's for the neat and the messy. I'm really glad about that. 
It's for the rich and the poor. I'm really glad about that one too. It's for the easy people to deal with and the difficult. I'm really glad about that one too, by the way. You can ask my wife and my kids, okay? You just heard a story about that. It's for those who are content and suffering. It's for those who are close and those, and those who are far off. It's for the religious and the irreligious. It's for those who are healthy and hurting. It's for those who are harmless and dangerous. And you know what? It's for those who are righteous and the sinful. God's kingdom is not meant for just those who are privileged. But there's another lesson I think he wants to learn that's similar and that kind of just lines up, falls in line with that. And that is, is that the kingdom of God will grow through our passionate and persuasive invitation to all people. To all people. To all people. If you're a Christ follower in here today, that's your role. That's my role. That's the point of the whole story. Is that we should stop at no end to reach those, even if they don't look like us, even if they don't act like us, even if they're not like us. We should do everything that we can to be passionate and persuasive in our inviting people to Christ. Not just the church, but to Christ. And then let him do the rest. You know, when I um, set up this whole message series and held back this particular parable from Jared and, and uh, Coop because I wanted to teach it, um, I, I didn't realize that I'd get a call within days from our partner, Brandon Smith, who's back there in the back. He is with No Hungry Children. He's, he's here today. Brandon, thanks for being here today, man. really appreciate that. He started No Hungry Children. He and Kim, good friends of ours from years ago. And No Hungry Children um, helps feed children who are hungry in the slums of Kenya. And Brandon called me up and he said, hey, you know, we're there about once a year, just, um, but Maurice is going to be in the United States for a couple months, and I wanted to see if he could come and talk at your church. I wanted to find out if you had an opening, and I'm like, man, I've got the perfect message. This is going to work out grace. And so, great. So today, I want to introduce to you, and listen, he's been all over the United States over these past few weeks speaking and being interviewed like we're going to do today, but I want Hilton Head Island Community Church to give him the best welcome, okay? So I want to introduce our guy with No Hungry Children. I love that, our guy. Isn't that great? Uh, this is Maurice, and I want you guys to meet Maurice. Give it up for Maurice. Thanks, man. Thank you. How was that? Was that good? Yeah, that day. It was good, but not as African. I wish they would all come to Africa. It would be better. That would be better in Africa. Okay, great. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot that would be better in Africa. Um, Maurice and Benter is his wife. Um, Odombo. Is that right? Did I get that right? Odiambo. 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 I'm not good with that. But, man, I want to thank you so much for being here, man. Um, you and I have known each other um, over email and social media and through Brandon. And, uh, man, I'm just so thankful that you are here. Uh, he and Benter have four kids of their own, um, but you guys have raised a few others along the way, haven't you? Yeah. And um, one of the things that Brandon talked to me about is the fact that no hungry children would not exist without Maurice. And uh, Hilton Head Island Community Church for a couple years has been a partner with No Hungry Children. 
And uh, for the last year, we've been a financial partner each and every month with No Hungry Children. And one of the things about feeding programs that is often an issue is that you never get to meet the person on the ground who actually makes sure that the money is spent on food and the food gets delivered. Here's your guy right here. Isn't that awesome to have him here today? But Maurice does a lot of, of other things, and I'll let him tell you a little bit about that. But he is the, he's a church planner. He's planted a bunch of churches, which I'm real interested in talking to you about that. Uh, but he's also the Eastern and Central African Director for the International School of Bible. It does discipleship uh, in churches and with pastors all over Africa, the continent, not just the country of Kenya. And um, he also has his own ministry that uh, we work with them, No Hungry Children works with them, uh, called Mana Ministries. And uh, Mana has uh, helped widows there in Kenya, and they have bought houses, built houses, built houses, yes. built houses for some of the widows. They cost, get this, $750 to build a house for a widow. And man, thank you so much for what you're doing. Tell us a little bit of your story and how you ended up in the slums of Kenya. I was born and raised in a, a small village in Kisumu, that is the western part of Kenya. And as a small boy, I had siblings. My parents had given birth to 19 children. And um, You heard that right. Yeah. 19, one nine. Okay, I just wanted to make yes. sure that you, they heard that right. Yes, 19 children, and uh, 11 of them died. And so we mm -hmm. are eight, which I happen to be the firstborn out of the eight. Mm -hmm. And my dad was a pastor in that small village. And uh, due to the many children and also the situation in the village, uh, things got out of his hands and he was not able to educate us or to feed us and things really got hard. So I was raised in a very severe poverty when I was growing up. And uh, since I couldn't go to school, I started to think of what I could do, maybe to help complement my dad in helping our family. So I moved to Nairobi, a city in Kenya, to be able to find something to do in terms of job. When I went to Nairobi, I found out that without education, qualification, uh, there was no work that I could apply or get. So the only work I got there was uh, to help with the labor, handwork with the construction company and work in a small kiosk in Nairobi. And uh, the only place I could stay, I ended up staying in a, a slums, that is a shanty town in Kibera, uh, slums in Nairobi. Kibera is the largest slum in the world right now after mm -hmm. uh, the Soweto in South Africa have, had been upgraded. So in, in the slum, it means there is no paved roads, there is no electricity, and there is no running water. And the houses there are made of cartons and all that. Mm. So I stayed in the slums, uh, and that is where I met my beautiful wife, Benta. And our first two children was born in the slums. I have four children. My son, Donex, is 16. My daughter, is uh, Peggy, is 14. And then I have another six-year-old daughter and three-year-old daughter. When my wife became pregnant to the firstborn, Donex, we could not go to afford the clinic, so we didn't know when our child was going to be due, and so we had to wait for my wife to start feeling labor pain. 
that is when we would know she's about to give birth. So one day, she started to feel labor pain, and I would go out and invite uh, uh, the midwife to come and help her to get de to deliver the baby. And I would start stand by the side of our small 10 by 10 room house mm -hmm. without a bed. We only had a mat. And then um, they, I would listen to the cry of the baby to know that we have already gotten a blessing with the baby. Mm -hmm. And as I was growing, uh, as I was living in the slums with my, my family, things started to really get even more tougher. I could not feed my children or clothe them. Many times I went without food for three days, sometimes even a week mm -hmm. without food, just water. My children cried many times to me, and it was really hard to see these children crying to me, and there was nothing I could do even to feed them. I re used to work in a kiosk as a waiter, and back there in our country, people don't relate to dogs the way I saw it ha here in America. They are not pets. So uh, at that kiosk I was working at, uh, people would come to the owner of the kiosk, and they would tell him that they would bring a container and say, if people come to the hotel and they eat and there's remains of food, you could put them, stack them in a container, and in the evening they pick it to take to their dogs. So me mm. and my wife, we thought of what we could do to reduce our budget. So we found a container, and I, was, I would take it to the workplace, and I would ask my boss that I also have dogs, and if it is possible for them to allow me to stack all the remains of food in that container and take back home to my dogs. But initially, I was taking it back to, to my family, and I would give it to my wife, mm. and she would warm all of that, and we would feed on that, and that would really uh, wow. reduce on our budget. Wow. And uh, we lived that life that I cried, and I regretted, and I threw my hands on God, and I almost thought God was not real or not fair. Mm. During that time, I had opportunity with the church that I was part of when they, bought, when they established a printing farm. And when they did, they asked me to come and clean the floor, the toilets, and make tea. And during that time, I started to go to the workshop, and I looked at what they were doing, and I was able to understand how to do the printing work, which I got finally hired. And during that time, I went out of the slums, and I started to rent a house, which is two rooms, so my kids can use or sleep on the floor on the other side and me on the other side. But that is when God came and mm. spoke to me and said, Maurice, I'm not done with you. Uh, you cried, you complained, you blamed me, and you thought I was not there. But I want you to know that even right there when you are crying and blaming me mm. and your children going through stuff, I was right there with mm. you. I knew what you were going through, and I am the one who held your life together. I am the one who sustained you, that even diseases and hunger never killed you. Mm. And that is because I wanted to create a ministry in you, not a ministry of sympathy and emotional, that you feel sorry for the people in the slum, mm. but I wanted someone who would understand what it means to go without food for days, mm. someone who would understand to live in a small house with the kids, and someone who would understand what it means for to see your children crying for food and not having to provide for them. Mm. And that is how the feeding program in the slum got birthed out of me. And during that time, I said to God, what am I going to do because I can't even feed myself? And then God told me that, Maurice, it is not going to be about you. You <laughs> cannot even feed your children. I am going to do it, and you are only to say yes and to obey my voice, and everything else will fall in place. 
And we started with my wife to buy plastic chairs and we would rent them out and put money together and started to feed the program. And during that time, God brought my way uh, Brandon and Kimberly Smith when mm. I met them in a conference. Mm. And after that, we developed a relationship mm. and they asked me that they wanted to go and see what I'm doing in the slums. And when I took them around at the slums and they were able to see the feeding program they were doing, God put in their heart that they were going to do everything to help me with the feeding program. Mm. And out of that connection, mm. so far, the Lord has increased the number of the children that we feed to two, over 2,500 children that we feed every day at school, two meals a day, uh, in the slums of Nairobi from 21 schools. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> awesome, man. Yeah, I, I love it. I, I, my favorite part of that story is when when God said, Maurice isn't about you, you know, like, yeah. I think we all probably have heard that from time to time. But our complaining, yeah. let's admit, n nothing that it pales, doesn't it in comparison to what you went through. Yeah. Um, you guys met Brandon and Kim. And uh, they began what really is a fundraising organization that we are a part of uh, that helps you to be able to distribute food to these kids. And I know uh, we adopted a school called Cana Junior. It's a school in there that our money goes to to feed some of these, some of these children that are, are desperately hungry, just like you experienced in your own life. And uh, tell us how it actually gets there. How does that process work? Uh, so talk, talk to us we, a little bit about that. We receive money uh, every month from No Hungry Children. Um, and, uh, and when we receive the money, we have a group of volunteers back in Nairobi. Most of the volunteers that we have are pastors who actually have gone through my discipleship program. That's awesome. So I have a relationship with awesome. them as well. Yeah. So when they heard that there is a wonderful people willing to be a part of the children in the slum and raising money and sending through no hungry children they wanted mm. to be a part mm. of that even if not with money but to help deliver the mm. food so when we get the money we go to the stores we purchase the food load it in trucks mm. then bring it in, bring it back in the stores and then we have this team that divide the foods according to the number of pupils in each school mm. and then we take another about three days trying to deliver this same food into the schools. Mm -hmm. After we deliver the food into the schools, then we have uh, cooks that prepare the food, mm -hmm. and then we join the cooks in each school every week to be able to serve the food to the children. Mm -hmm. And the interesting part of it is we have, out of that, established a Christian, uh, a Christian education program where our chaplains goes back to the school because they are now having our attention and we are able to teach the children about God and tell them that God is the one doing it. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. So it's not just, it's not just physical food. It's no. spiritual food as yeah. well. Yeah, and, um, as well. and each one of you who gives a dollar to this church is a part of this and a part of what No Hungry Children is doing, part of what Maurice is doing there on the ground through Man of Ministries and through his own ministry and through many of these others. The thing that he didn't really like communicate to you is that he is a volunteer in all of this. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't take a dime as a pastor. He's a pastor of pastors. He doesn't get paid for that. He doesn't get paid for the feeding program. He doesn't get paid um, to build homes and help build homes for widows. He's a printer, and he 
is a busy guy. If I ever say I'm busy again, <laughs> Cynthia, yes, my wife is shaking her head right there. She's like, uh, uh, no, uh. I mean, you are doing an amazing work. And when I think about this particular parable about going out beyond the walls of Jerusalem, you have gone into these slums and you're right. God put you through what he put you through, allowed you to go through what you went through so that he could use you for that reason. And I think about you being the one that goes out and reaches those who are crippled and blind and lame. And we are so honored to be partnering with you, Maurice, as a church, aren't we? Hilton Head Island Community Church and with Brandon. Man, thank you so much. Why don't you give it up for Maurice? Awesome, buddy. Oh, God bless you, man. He'll be outside there, and I, I want to make sure you guys get to meet him after we're done. And by the way, those of you who have those No Hungry Children t-shirts, which are like the most comfortable things in the world, aren't they? I mean, um, uh, you know, Brandon is, is uh, out there at our fall festival out there, and so he's got a table there, and you can buy those, and all the proceeds go right to No Hungry Children, which eventually goes to what Maurice is doing there on the ground in Kenya. Listen, church, I, I gotta, I'm going to be honest with you for a moment. Um, there are times when I'm not passionate. There are times when I'm not persuasive. And, and yeah, I can use my personality as, as an excuse, which is a horrible one. I can use, yeah, well, I'm just not made for that. I'm not, I'm not a good communicator on the gospel message. I'm not this, I'm not that. But if I'm really honest, when I go through times that I'm not passionate about the gospel and I'm not persuasive about my story and how God changed me, it just really comes down to being spiritually stagnant. It just really comes down to that, simply put. And so that's my challenge to you today, is where's your role in the kingdom growth? Maybe there's some of you who are here today and you've never said yes. <laughs> your role is to like say yes today. Say, yeah, I, I want to believe in, in Jesus. I'm going to give my life to him. Maybe that's your part in kingdom growth. But for those of you who are Christ followers, why, why not make it your mission, our mission? It's our church's mission to passionately share the message of Jesus Christ and to lead people to follow him. But, you know, that's not just a corporate thing. That should be an individual thing as well. We all should get on board. And when we all are on board with that, then we're doing it collectively. Then we're doing it corporately to go out and reach those who are lost and go out to reach those who are hungry and blind and crippled and maybe spiritually so as well. Or are you spiritually stagnant? Are you where I've been sometimes in my life? And you just really get lazy. Why don't we pray that this story that Jesus told would just really, really saturate our hearts this morning. Will you join me in a word of prayer? God, thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for no hungry children. And God, I thank you for Brandon and Kim and their, their precious kids, their family who sacrificed so much to begin this program to raise money to feed children in Nairobi. And God, I thank you that we've partnered with an organization that has such a godly, passionate man of character like Maurice, who's not just bringing kids food, although that's important, that's what you tell us to do, but he's bringing them your good news. God, I thank you for that. I thank you for 
the opportunity that we have as a church. And God, I pray for those of us who are here today and we are Christ followers. We, um, are, we call ourselves Christians. We are people who um, love you and we read your word and we spend time with you. But God, if we're here today and, and we've listened and heard and we've been involved with today and there's not something that moves us to, to a place of passionate passionately sharing the message of, of your love and your grace and your mercy and justice. And if we're not persuasive about it, God, I pray that you would search us within and that you would find areas that we need to maybe tweak or change. And maybe there's a complacency or a stagnation that's going on there that we need to rid ourselves of so that we can fully give ourselves to you. God, help us. Holy Spirit, help us to be passionate about your kingdom. That's what the wedding banquet's about, is more people experiencing salvation. More people, one day when they die, experiencing eternity because of what you did on the cross and because of our partnership with that, with you. God, thank you so much for that. And God, I pray right now for those who have never said yes to you. God, the invitation's been opened several times, and they're just like the people that were invited to that party. They're just like the people that were within the city who when invited just made an excuse and made an excuse and made an excuse and made an excuse. And maybe you're here today and you're just done making excuses. Eternity hangs in the balance and you know it and you know the answer. And you're ready to put your faith, your belief in Jesus. If you're here today and you're ready to do that, it doesn't have to be like you think it is. All it is is a simple jump from a place of unbelief to belief. And I want to invite you to make that jump. Maybe an inch long, but it's really a mile in terms of eternity. If you're here today and you want to put your faith in Jesus, you want to trust him as your savior, I'm going to pray a prayer right now out loud. And I just want to invite you. Just feel like God's leading me to do this right now. I just want to invite you to say this prayer. You can do it silently, just where you are. It's a prayer that goes like this. God, thank you for bringing me here today. And God, I thank you that today I've realized I need to say yes. And so right here in this place, I choose to believe in you, Jesus, for my salvation. Help me to be anchored in my faith. Help me to grow in my faith now. If you prayed that prayer in here with every head bowed and every eye closed, just lift up your hand for a moment. I just want to see your hand. I promise I won't embarrass you. I just want to pray for you if you prayed that prayer. Just look up at me for a moment. God, I thank you for a wonderful day. And I thank you for all that you're doing in the life of our church. And God, I thank you for the opportunity that we have as Christ followers to truly be a part of your kingdom. And God, may we take that justice and mercy and grace and may we go may we go to where you want us to may we be obedient like maurice was to go where you want us to go to reach people for you in jesus name we pray amen